Uh, with that, we're starting a new series today, and I want to just kind of shift gears a little bit and kind of dive into that. And, uh, and uh, man, what an amazing time of worship this morning, and I know God's presence has already been here. I hope that you have sensed his presence near to you. And uh, really, over the next three weeks, uh, we're doing a little series that we're calling Blessed, Broken, Given, and we're just simply asking and answering the question, what would your life look like in the hands of Jesus? And, and because we believe that God has good thoughts towards you. We believe, according to Jeremiah 29, that he knows the plans that he has for you, right? To prosper you, to bless you, to walk with you. Now, there's highs and there's lows in those seasons. There's challenges and there's difficulty. But we don't have to go through this life alone. And so over the next few weeks, we want to just kind of explore these three words. And, uh, and I want us this morning, some of you are looking at my, my little table this morning and going, man, did he just go grocery shopping? Is he hungry? You know, I'm an Irishman, so I like two things, bread and potatoes. In fact, the Irish have perfected how to make potato bread. How many of you have ever had potato bread? I don't mean like the loaf stuff. I mean the actual potato bread. Yeah, see, some of you have had it, and it's changed your life. The rest of you, you know, you're kind of living a second-rate life at this point, you know? But the Irish love bread, and bread, isn't that interesting? Bread really is common, it's ordinary, but it's also something that is in every culture, every community, every, uh, every people group on the earth has some sort of version of bread. Uh, now, the Irish have perfected it, I'm just telling you. Take my word for it, okay? I know you don't believe me, but the Irish have perfected it. How many of you have ever had a Wheaton uh, a wheaten bread or a soda farl? Anybody had wheaten bread or soda farl? A few of you, you have lived. In fact, maybe we should have you guys pray for everybody else because you've lived the abundant life. I'm just telling you. But, but when you think about it, there's bread in every single culture, isn't there? I mean, I, I got some samples here. Um, I've got, well, there's nam bread and I couldn't get nam bread because like, that India brought us nam bread, but like, that would be the size of this table. And uh, anybody ever had nam bread? You know, right when it's fresh and warm. That is awesome. Uh, we've got pita roll or pita bread. Apparently the Greeks brought us that. Uh, we've got tortilla shells, right? So we got South American culture that brought us that. Uh, we've got um, the mighty, and this happened in 19, I think it was 1926 or 28, that the Americans brought us the hot dog bun. Come on, America, way to go, the hot dog bun. We have artesian, well, it's not really artesian bread because it's from Winco, how artesian could it be? <laughs> Just saying. And then, of course, there's this staple that started in the, I think it was 1929, but it wasn't until the 1930s, um, that Wonder Bread, come on, how many of you love this, the staple, Wonder Bread, right? You know, it's, it's the bread that has no nutritional value at all. In fact, little story that, in fact, it might have been 1921 that Wonder Bread and, and, uh, and then it was in the 30s that they started slicing Wonder Bread and they wouldn't, uh, people wouldn't buy it at first because they thought that it wouldn't last as long. They just didn't know how, much, how many chemicals were in it that were actually preserving it. I mean, you could leave this thing on your shell or like on your, you know, in your cupboard for like a month. It's going to be fine, you know. Um, but of course, uh, no nutritional value, except this is the one that you would definitely, how many of you grew up with peanut and butter, jelly sandwiches, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Come on, that's an American staple. And you need Wonder Bread with jelly and peanut butter. Now, a little known fact about your pastor, I have never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Never. 
And I won't, yes, yeah, sit down. <laughs> and I won't be, because at this point, it's just kind of a trait. You know, it's like, you know, hey, my name's Gareth, I'm 50 years old, and I've never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? But bread, isn't bread, bread is common. Bread is ubiquitous, it's everywhere. Bread is ordinary, but it's interesting that the Bible uses a lot of references to bread. In fact, when Jesus taught us to pray, Jesus said this. He said, I want you to pray this. Give us our daily bread. Now, throughout the Old Testament, you see that bread was used in the tabernacle as a sign of God's presence. There was also bread that fell from heaven, right? Remember the manna that fell from heaven? It was a sign of God's provision. In the Old Testament, bread was compared to God's commandments in the Torah. And Jesus himself actually announces himself as the bread of heaven. Maybe he should have announced himself as like a steak or something, you know, but like bread, like bread is just common. It's just, you know, it's ordinary. What's so special about bread? But there were three times that Jesus took bread in the New Testament with his disciples. And the first time was when he fed the 5,000. And then he was gathered in the upper room and he was celebrating the Passover meal. And actually, he instituted what we'll do a little bit later in the service, communion when he broke bread. And then the last time was on the road to a mess. And every time that Jesus took bread, Jesus did three things with that bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it. And so really the question that we want to explore over the next three weeks, that if bread is a metaphor for your and our life, what would it look like to put our lives into the hands of Jesus? What, what might it look like to have a life that's surrendered to Jesus, that's given to Jesus, and what might Jesus do with it? And so we want to use this kind of, this not just analogy, but this thing that Jesus did with bread to kind of explore what I think Jesus does with each one of our lives. And so really, this week, I want to just explore what it means to be blessed. Now, blessed, this word blessed is a pretty common thing or a common word in our American culture. We've talked about it a little bit actually in the last series that we just finished over the last couple of weeks, trying to explore what does it mean to be blessed. But, but blessed is something that we use kind of almost absent-mindedly in our culture, right? You've heard the phrase, God bless America, right? I'm feeling blessed every day of my life, right? What is it? Feeling blessed, less stressed, you know, if you're into TikTok culture, right? But, but we've appropriated this word blessed. In fact, I, I was looking it up a couple of weeks ago. The, when, you, when you do the little hashtag thing, hashtag blessed, the last time I checked, there was something like 128 million references to blessed on Instagram alone. And, and what, what, what Instagram, what people on Instagram had blessed was that they had blessed everything from a new car to a new plate of food or to a plate of food, fitness, weight loss, boyfriend, girlfriend, expected parents, house sales, house purchases, and there was a guy getting his beard trimmed just to perfection, hashtag blessed. And it's almost like we've taken this word that, that God actually gave us, and we'll explore that in a minute, and we've kind of reduced it to something that it was not necessarily intended to be, or at least reduced it to something that's way less than God ever intended it to be in our lives. 
In fact, American culture, in American culture, we have tended to, um, uh, if I could say, equate blessing, right, with the world's definition of success. And, and so that's why on Instagram and, and even the way we would use it, oftentimes we see blessing associated with some sort of version of success. But what about those moments when you don't feel blessed? What about when the doctor's report isn't a good report? What, what happens when your marriage maybe is falling apart? What happens when the kids aren't doing so well? What happens when things aren't going as you hoped for, dreamed for, maybe even prayed for? What happens when you lose a job or there's more month than money, when the bills seem to stack up? Are we still blessed? What does it even mean to be blessed? In fact, when we read Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew, I think it's six through nine, there are eight marks of a blessed life and all of them seem to be less dreamy than the American version of hashtag blessed. And is it possible that maybe we maybe have reduced something and settled for something that the Lord actually has something much better in mind for us? And so what does it mean when God says you're blessed? And in order to understand blessing, we really have to go back to the start of the story. Because I think one of the first ways that we recognize that we are blessed is that you and I don't have to be the author of our own story, but God wants to be the author of your and my story. And this is what we find way back in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 um, it says in verse 25 that God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In his image, God created him. Male and female, he created them. And look at this, verse 28. And God blessed them. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that the first mention principle when you're studying scripture plays a role because you've got to understand when it's first mentioned, it's packed with meaning that helps us understand and define the rest of the use of that word throughout the rest of the Bible. And what we discover in this passage is that God says, I'm going to create you in my image and likeness. I'm going to create you male and female. I'm going to create you. I'm going to bless you and I'm blessing you so that you might be fruitful and multiply. In other words, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, literally full of life. And so God, and maybe this is why Jesus in John 10, 10, and our namesake as a church, that Jesus comes and he says, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so Jesus picks up on the same theme that God's outlining for his purpose, his plan for all of creation, that you and I were created in the image and likeness of God. Humanity created to serve a purpose. But the first thing that God speaks over isn't, here's what I want you to do. No, no, no. You are blessed. You're blessed. 
Now, it's interesting because when Jesus takes the bread, he uses that same word. He's speaking in Aramaic, and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but it's the same equivalent word. It's the Aramaic or the Greek version of the Hebrew word. And in both places, when God creates humanity and when when Jesus breaks the bread and says he blesses it, what Jesus and what God are communicating and what that word communicates is to speak well to speak over. And so what I want us to see and recognize as we begin to just unpack, what does it mean to be blessed is to recognize that there's a God in heaven who sees you, who cares about you, who created you with purpose, who has plans for you that you don't even imagine, can't even begin to imagine according to Corinthians. And the first thing he does for, toward you is he speaks well of you. He blesses you. God didn't start with a list of demands. God didn't start with a list of do's and don'ts. God didn't start with, here's your purpose, here's your plan, here's your job description, here's what you need to get get done. God starts with Adam and Eve, and God's relationship starts with you with a word of blessing over your life. The reality is that God, and I think this is what this is communicating, is God is the author of your and my story. That we are blessed because God is the author of our story. Now, we all have stories that we tell ourselves. You might not say it out loud, but in those quiet moments when life seems to settle down, or maybe after something has happened, or maybe just a moment when you begin to kind of reflect and pause, there are stories that every single one of us tell ourselves. In fact, because so often, because the human brain is tended towards or drawn towards negativity, the stories we tend to tell ourselves tend to be negative stories. They tend to be the the kind of things that it, man, I just don't measure up. Man, I'm such a failure. I just fall short. And there's this replaying, I don't know if you've ever done this, I I, I do this all the time, I wrestle with this all the time, where I replay a story in my head of my own failure, my own inability, my own shortcoming. Now we live in a culture that tries to combat that by by kind of enhancing kind of your self-esteem or the way kind of you see yourself, you know, and it's kind of like I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And it's this kind of world we live in that you do you, you can do it, you dream it, you can do it, you know? And it's this idea that that the story that the culture tells us, and oftentimes, or or sometimes it can be the story that we begin to believe, maybe we've drunk the Kool-Aid or believe our own press a little bit too much, which is that, man, I can do this by myself. And either one of those stories will leave us lacking and leave us wanting. Because both of those stories that we tell ourselves are stories that we've authored about ourselves. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson was, is an amazing pastor. He wrote the, the message version, um, and he said this. He says, my identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. Isn't that true? We live in a culture and in a world that's oftentimes trying to understand itself. You do you. Understand yourself. You gotta get to know yourself better. You gotta get to love yourself better. And there's some truth to some of those kinds of things. But my identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. There is something previous to what I think about myself and it is what God thinks about me. 
And this is what this story, and this is what I'm trying to help us to understand, that in the beginning, the genesis or the origin of humanity, the genesis of the origin of your story isn't in your sin, isn't in your failure, isn't in your shortcoming. Before any of that takes place, there's a story that's being written by, by God about you. God has authored a story that doesn't start with, yeah, I see your failure. No, no, no. It started with, I'm going to bless you. And so often we get ourselves into this rut of failure and struggle and I'm trying in my own strength and I'm just, I'm never gonna measure up. I'm never gonna be able to do it. And what you need to understand is that the opportunity that you and I have been afforded because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross is to understand that the origin of your story isn't your failure. The origin of your story is God's choice to bless you, to speak well of you, to say I am for you, not against you. God's telling of the story doesn't start with your sin and failure. It, the, the gospel didn't start with your sin and failure. It starts with God's glory and God's purpose. It starts with a calling to be a part of God's unfolding story. Now, how many of you love Marvel? Any Marvel, you know, the Marvel movies, all that kind of stuff? Who Shout out some of the Marvel superheroes, because I'm not like an expert of that. You guys need it. This is dialogue, right? Captain America, okay, what are some of your other Marvel characters? Oh, this Iron Man, I heard Iron Man. Anybody else? Who, what is it? Guardians of the Galaxy. Have any of you been, to see the, have you been to see the most recent movie? No, not yet. Okay, I've heard it's good. I've heard it's good. Okay, so we got the Marvel superheroes. Some of you are like, I have no clue what they're talking about. Now, I guess there's a whole other set of superheroes. They're DC comic superheroes. Right? Now, isn't that like, is, that, is DC Comet like Spider-Man? Is that like, no? Oh my gosh. Somebody just go, let, let me just rehearse that just for a minute. You idiot! <laughs> go shout out some DC Comet guys. Come on. Batman! Well, who else? Superman! Wonder Woman! But you know, every superhero has an origin story, right? And some of you are like really into this, right? Like you like understand the origin story and how all the stories work together, right? And some of you are like me and you could care less, right? But every superhero has an origin story. But the same is true of you and I. Every single one of us has an origin story. Now, here's what's crazy about the origin of your story, right? Like when my kids were born, um, Aiden turns 24 in a couple of weeks and Sophie's 21 and my youngest is 19. And when every single one of them was born, it was like this most amazing moment. I was actually, it's really funny because Aaron's preaching these notes out in Sandy and there's just a generational difference. He just went on his phone and found pictures of his kids when they were born. And I was like trying to rummage through like memory books, you know, because like, it was like, we didn't have smartphones back then. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but anyway, when my kids were born, right, like it was the most amazing moment 
It was the most precious moment. But it was also a moment that was filled with all kinds of potential. There was joy in that moment. There were hopes and there were dreams. And, and what's, what's crazy about that my life is that, that I've lived long enough, they've lived long enough, that I've seen some of those things come true. I've, seen, I've had some disappointments and I've had some challenges and frustrations, but I've seen the dreams and the hopes and the potential of my kids come to life. And, and so what's interesting about their journey and what's interesting about their origin story, in fact, what's interesting about your and my origin of life and our story is that not one single one of us could tell the origin of our story apart from parents, guardians, someone else in our life. Isn't that right? That my kids were present, they were being born, but they couldn't tell you anything about it. They're dependent upon mom and dad. They're dependent upon somebody outside of themselves to share the story of their origin with them. And the same is true for us in a spiritual sense, isn't it? In fact, that every single one of us in the room this morning, we, we, we weren't there Right when we were, we were there, but you know what I mean? You couldn't talk about the origin of your story. And in the same way, we need somebody outside of ourselves to help us understand the origin of our story. And the point that I'm trying to help you understand this morning is that the origin of your story was not your sin, was not your failure, was not your disappointment, was not your kind of, you don't measure up, you'll never make the mark. That's not the origin of your story. The origin of your story is a God in heaven who chose to create you on purpose, for a purpose, and the first thing he said to you was, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to speak well of you. I'm going to cause you to have life. Now, we understand that when we look back on the story of Scripture and the story of Genesis, we recognize that Adam and Eve, and in Adam and Eve, all of humanity rebelled against God. They wanted to write their own story. They didn't want to allow God to continue to author their story. But we need to recognize that the first and foremost is one of the chief ways I think we need to recognize that we're blessed is that God is the author of our story. Now we know, and we, we talked about this a few weeks ago in a different series, that, that God authors the story, humanity turns their back on God, rebels against God, wants to write its own story, but God shows up, picks a man by the name of Abram, and he says, I'm choosing you because what I said to you at the outset, what I said to humanity at the outset continues, I will be faithful to the covenant and commitment I made to you. And you pick up this story in Genesis chapter 17, and it says in Genesis chapter 17 that then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you. So even though humanity, including Abram, had turned their back on God, had turned their back on God's blessing, had turned their back on the fact that God was the one who originated and authored their story, God shows up and God says, I choose you. And he goes on and he says, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now what's ironic about that is that Abram and Sarah couldn't have any kids. In fact, it was for some 24, 25 years that they could not have any children. But it goes on in verse five and it says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called 
Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And what we recognize in this unfolding story of God and humanity is that God is the author of the story and God starts the story not by demanding, not by uh, say, you know, pointing out failure, not by giving a job description, not by telling us what to do. He starts by blessing. And even though they turn their back on God, God shows back up and says, I've chosen you. Not only have I chosen you, but I am giving you a new name. And, and to be blessed is to let God redefine your identity. Now, think about this fact that really is, I think, something so powerful, so intimate as your own name, you didn't have a choice, you didn't name yourself, right? In fact, scientists actually tell us that if we were like just kind of milling around and having conversation and, you know, there's just a lot of noise in this room because we're all talking to each other, um, and someone was to shout your name, someone was to just say, Jenny, Mark, Grace, says that your, your brain is wired in such a way that you will hear that, your name being called above the noise in the room. Why? Because your name is powerful. Your name is personal. Your name is intimate. Your name is a part of you. It's your identity. And what's so crazy is you didn't have a part to play in picking your name, right? I mean, unless your name is Wah. I don't know. What should we call him? Wah! There he is, right? You didn't pick your name. Someone else picked your name. I'll never forget when when uh, our kids were being born, you know, we were like, we were super spiritual. Not that we're not spiritual now, but we were super spiritual back then, you know. Our firstborn is coming and we're going to name him. You know, we got to come up with a name. Lord, what do you want to call him? And what, what does his name represent? Lord, what's he going to be in life? We, you know, what kind of person is he going to become, you know? And so we ended up calling him Aiden um, because, um, well, uh, we felt that that was a good Irish name, but what we didn't realize and when we called him Aiden was that Aiden is actually the Celtic version for John, and it literally means little fire or courageous. And my son, he's on a plane right now somewhere over Montana or something, I don't know where. He's landing at 2 o'clock today. He's moving from New York City, which, you know, he went to Bible college and then goes to New York City. Uh, he's moving this Thursday down to L.A. Um, he doesn't have an apartment to live in yet. So he might be living on the street in L.A., but he will be in L.A., you know. And he just has this courage. He just is this trailblazer. There's something about his personality because there was just, and, the, and there was something about his name that was going to be associated with his identity. Our second born, her name's Sophia. Or so, I only call her Sophia when I'm upset, so she doesn't like me calling her Sophia. Her name's Sophie. And Sophie literally means wisdom. We prayed about it, and Lord, what's your name, you know? And then by the time we got to our third born, I was at a Seahawks football game, and they were honoring the quarterback, and his daughter's name was Madeline, and I called Jenny from the game, and I said, what about Madeline? She goes, no, I don't like Madeline. What about Madeline, you know? And so she got, you know, she wasn't, no, I'm kidding. Well, I'm serious about that piece of it, right? But um, her name actually means tower of strength or tower of light. And when I look at my kids' names, I realize whether it was randomly from a phone call from Seahawk Stadium or whether it was through lots of prayer, something about the name has represented the identity of my kids. And yet they didn't choose it. And the same is true, I think, when it comes to you and I. You see, 
there are names or there's ways that you see yourself. There's names that you kind of give yourself. It's kind of similar to the stories that we tell ourselves. Oftentimes, we kind of label ourselves a certain way. I'm not good enough, Gary. Why can't you be like Susie? Failure, Frank. Just falling short, Joe. By the way, if your name's Gary, Susie, Frank, or Joe, I mean, there's no, I don't mean anything by that, you know, so don't. But we do, don't we? We, we label ourselves a certain way. We have a certain identity. And yet, the Lord is the one who gives you a new name. I love what Jeff did uh, coming out of worship this morning because he caused us to stop for a moment and he says, I want you to pause and I want you to reflect on the goodness of God. I want you to hear the word of God over your life. God has been good to you. And he read a passage out of Ephesians. In that, in that same book, it, that we're told that our identity, our name is that you are chosen, you are holy, you're a royal priesthood, you are beloved, you are precious. Do you know in the New Testament, you know, you are in Christ. The Bible makes it clear. You are a new creation. You have a new name. You have a new identity. In fact, in the New Testament, nowhere in the New Testament does God refer to his children as sinners. Now, Paul references his previous life as a sinner, but nowhere does God reference his children as sinners. He always describes them as saints. Why? I don't feel that way, God. Yeah, but I've given you a new name. I've given you a new identity. I want you to live from that new identity, that new place. And what we discover is that your new identity is not about who you are. It's about whose you are. I love how Tim Keller says this. Tim just recently passed away and really had a tremendous impact on the church here in America in such a healthy way. But he said this. He said, Christianity is the only religion where your identity is not uh, achieved, it's received. And it's received because of what Jesus has done for you. It's received because God, your heavenly father, said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to speak well of you. I'm giving you a new name and a new identity. You are a saint. You are chosen. You are beloved. You're a royal priest. You are precious. You have a new name and a new identity. The last thing is simply this, is that we are also blessed because God redefines our destiny. So not only does God write our story and author our story, not only does God give us a new name and a new identity, but God changes the trajectory of your and my life. God gives us a new future and a new destiny. And in in this story of Abraham and what was taking place, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, couldn't have any kids. And so for 20-something years, man, they're trying to have kids. They can't have kids. But God, you promised, you said that you were going to bless us, that there was going to be these kids that would come. And so finally, Sarah, uh, Abraham, I'm sure, frustrated and just thought they'll take it into their own hands. And so Sarah turns to her servant, Hagar, and says, hey, why don't you go sleep with Abraham? And maybe then... We'll have a son in this house. Look what it says in chapter 16 of verse 1 of Genesis. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, so she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Now talk about somebody whose destiny, whose future was in a, going in a particular direction. Number one, and once again, this is all cultural context. She's female. 
in the culture that Abraham and Sarah, Israel at that time, Egypt and then the world, man, to be female meant that you were kind of subservient to a man. You were the property of the man. The second thing is that she's Egyptian. So the Israelites hearing and reading this story would have recognized immediately she's an enemy. She's not part of the covenant community. And the third thing is that she's a servant, literally a slave. And so here's this woman in this story who seems like she should not be a part of it or seems like she doesn't fit into it, seems like, man, how is her destiny, how is her future ever going to work out? Well, it says in chapter 16, verse seven, it says, so, so what happens is basically she sleeps with, with um, Abraham, she gets pregnant, she has a child. So of course, Sarah gets jealous. She mistreats her, she's abusing her. And so Hagar decides that she's going to leave and she's going to go just figure it out herself. And here she is in the wilderness. Here she is removed from the house. Here she is with, man, I did what I was asked to do. And man, look at me now. And this is what it says in verse seven. It says that the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And he said to Hagar, the servant, or, or, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah. Isn't that interesting? He knew her name. He goes on and he says, where have you come from, origin? And where are you going, destiny? And that's a, that's a question I think every human being on the planet asks. Am I known? Well, God knows you. Where did I come from? Well, God knows. Where am I going? What's my future? What's my significance? What's my destiny? Well, God knows. And he goes on and he says this. He says, she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for the multitude. Do you see what's going on here? Is that God shows up in a circumstance that just seems there's just like no possible way that this could resolve for the good. Like she doesn't fit into the narrative. She doesn't fit into the story. She doesn't have the right name. She's failed. She's fallen short. She's not part of the right covenant community. And so she ends up fleeing because of the abuse and the mistreatment of somebody who should have treated her better. And God shows up in that spot. And what God says to her is the exact same thing that God said to Abraham. Oh, I'm going to bless you, and many nations are going to come out of you. And he says the same thing to Hagar. I'm going to bless you. Now, I understand that throughout history, Ishmael and Israel and the fight and all that kind of stuff, but I want you to see something here. God saw her. God called her by name. God knew her origin, and God redefined her that's what it means to be blessed. That you have a God in heaven who sees you, who knows you, who is for you, not against you. He's the author of your story. And the start of that story is not your failure and not your shortcoming and not your sin. No, no, no. The start of that story predates you. It's in the heart of God what he wants to do and how he postures himself towards you is I'm going to bless you. I'm going to call you into my story. I'm going to call you into purpose. I'm going to call you to be a part of my plan. And as a part of it, he says, you have a new name. Not sinner, but saint. 
Not failure, but forgiven, chosen, beloved, precious. And because you have a new name, you have a whole new identity. An identity as a son and as a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the family of God. And because you are in Christ, there is a new future. There's a new destiny that God has 